Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to share with us today. You're either viewing us on YouTube or you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Prime. We always want to encourage you to reach out to us and let us know how we're doing with the podcast. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Give us a drop of an email and let us know how we're doing with the podcast. I am honored today to have three representatives of the East Baton Rouge Parish school system here with us. Uh, we have the superintendent, Dr. Cito Narcisse. We have uh, Ms. Stacy Dupre, uh, who is the chief of student support, and Ms. Crystalyn Lyles, who is the project manager for external partnerships. And I'm very happy to have all of you all here with us uh, today. Uh, superintendent Narcisse. Let me ask you immediately uh, about Hurricane Ida and recovery. Mm -hmm. How much damage did East Baton Rouge Parish suffer from Hurricane Ida, schools, the facilities, and where are we in recovery? Yeah, so as far as uh, damages, structural damages to school, we've had minimal. Uh, hardly no, none of our buildings had technically a lot of structural damage. We did have a few uh, roof leaks, those things, but we didn't have like an actual, you know, a tree did not land on the school or anything like that. So we were really in good shape there. Our, 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 our biggest challenges were around power and also our technology in terms of networks and those things. And so uh, in order for me to make the call around whether school was going to open or not, uh, I looked at three three things with the team. One was whether we had power for AC, uh, mm -hmm. whether technology was up or was there any structural damage. And so once those things were pretty clear, uh, we're okay. We were able to, to go ahead and get school open uh, back up. But uh, outside of that, we had a lot of debris. But um, thanks to our team, we quickly, uh, the day, uh, uh, the morning after <laughs> the hurricane, mm -hmm. uh, we had teams go out, pick up uh, trees and all the, the stuff that was either on the um, premises as well as, you know, do a, our own uh, uh, emergency check to see how the buildings were doing. So we were in pretty good shape. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that there was minimal damage uh, to the facilities. Uh, building off of Hurricane Ida, uh, uh, extenuating uh, problems having to do with COVID and the protocols uh, that are in place. Could you help us to understand exactly what the protocols are? Because it seems like we get varying information uh, from one day to the next. What are the current protocols for COVID within the East Baton Rouge Parish school system? Yeah, I mean, uh, and I'm, I'll let Stacy give more detail okay. to that. Uh, but just to give context, you know that us as, as a district, uh, compared to all our parishes, we were pretty aggressive around getting protocols out with COVID. We've been working with uh, our um, health committee, which consists of the top epidemiologists in Baton Rouge, uh, who also provides the same information to the governor and, and to the other offices around, um, you know, how the numbers were going. So we met with uh, that group of set of doctors and also with the health department. With, um, um, and we were able to talk through where we were in terms of designing our COVID protocols. Um, for schools, and so the, um, there's actual specific guidance for schools that we have up. Mm -hmm. you go to our website, ebrschools.org. Mm -hmm. We actually have a, you can click where it says COVID uh, protocols, and we have an entire sheet to, to talk through um, with all those things come from, from testing that we do uh, in the schools to um, how many feet apart you need to be in the schools. You know, the, the big change. Is it yeah. still three to six feet, or did you extend it to six feet? What's, what, what, yeah, what's the, the guideline? The, the protocols right now are between three to six feet, and okay. I, I can let Stacy give more specifics because there's variations of that okay. <laughs> in different spaces, and so I don't want to. Okay, Stacy, what are the variations <laughs> of the three to six feet? <laughs> Um, well, we follow the LDH, Louisiana Department of Health guidance, and um, they worked in conjunction with Louisiana Department of Education. 
in the classroom, students only can be three feet apart as long as they're both wearing masks. And if they are both wearing masks and one child is positive, the other one's not, they don't have to self-quarantine. They've done research. However, with adults, adults have to be six feet away from the kids if they're both wearing masks. Okay. Outside the classroom, everywhere else, it's six feet apart. Okay. So it gets a little confusing, but our, our team has done a really good job with training our teachers, our principals, and I think they have a good grasp on it now. Okay. Beyond the, the social distancing, what are the rules regarding masks? I heard you say if one has and one does not. I'm assuming that means that there's not a mask mandate for no, students. There is, there is a mask mandate. Okay. So, um, um, every, all students and staff in East Baton Rouge uh, wear, are required to wear masks. Okay. And um, the biggest shift from last year to this year is we require masks even as you get on the bus. Okay. Right. So, and uh, and also last year, um, our lower grade levels it was K to two. Pre K to two. Did not were not required to wear a mask, mm -hmm. but now they are. Okay. So younger than two are wearing masks. Yeah. Well, no, we we require masks for everybody. Okay. Okay. Um, all students, um, K through twelve, wear masks. Okay. Are required. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Um. Tell me where, where where we are. Can you tell me where we are within the school system with regard to vaccinations? I know younger than 12, you you can't be vaccinated. So where are we with 12 and above? 12 to 18, I guess, are are above with regard to vaccinations. So um, we've just be, um, been given permission from the Department of Health to start looking at those records for students because. Mm -hmm we did not want to cross the line. We have to follow correct protocol. Mm -hmm. And so at this time, our nurses are looking up the vaccination so we can get an idea of where our students are um, because that'll give us a better idea of uh, possible transmissibility and other things. Dr. Narcisse also is implemented where all individuals, adults, who've been vaccinated that we turn in our information to the Office of Human Resources. Mm -hmm. I've turned mine in, I, mm -hmm. I followed rules. Um, so we can also get an idea of how many adults have been vaccinated. Okay. Uh, and, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and that, that allows us to keep a record mm -hmm. of how many uh, employees we have that are actually vaccinated. Um, as you know, we, are, we have 6,000 employees. We're one of the second largest uh, employees in the city. So um, what the challenge we had the previous year was we would, um, people would get vaccinated, but we wouldn't know how much in East Baton Rouge. So we right. had to look at what the parish numbers were. Right. And so, uh, um, which was a little bit different on whether it told us about every single um, employee mm -hmm. that we had in the system. Uh, in EBR right now, uh, uh, we have probably out of our 6,000 employees, 4,200 employees live in our parish and then the other portion of that live in um in uh, uh surrounding parishes around us interesting i hadn't thought about whether or not they lived within mm -hmm. the parish okay that that'll be a question next time <laughs> you're, you're you're here um so you've seen on the news or i've seen on the news uh these protests by parents and other concerned individuals regarding children and masking and children and social distancing that somehow or other they have determined that it's an infringement upon their rights and that it can do long-term damage to the children. Uh, I'll give my own opinion about that. Don't ask you to agree or disagree. That's poppycock. Uh, but uh, uh, my, my question to you is uh, what has been the climate in East Baton Rouge Parish with regard to uh, parents and others who might have differing opinions about COVID protocols? Yeah, I mean, we haven't had a challenge, we haven't had too many challenges about COVID protocol more than the question was around the requirement of like mask or requirement of testing 
or requirement of, you know, are you going to make us all take vaccination? You know, mm -hmm. those were, were where the questions were. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't had too many people um, debate with us around the actual COVID rules. Mm -hmm. um, and when I talk about COVID rules, I talk about, you know, whether we have to clean, do deep cleaning on some of those things. Uh, right. So um, what, what I, the, the stance that I always said was, um, you know, I can't force you to take the vaccine, even though I've suggested many of times mm -hmm. that it is important to, to give safety. But what I did say was, if you're, you're not going to do that, we need to at least test you every week. Mm -hmm. uh, and so people in our system get tested, whether you're vaccinated or not. So we can be clear around whether you have the virus or not. I mean, a part of the weight that I have as superintendent is not only for kids, but also for the faculty and staff that I that work for our system, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I tell folks it's almost like a little city <laughs> that you have, and you have yes. to ensure their safety. And so that's that's kind of what my stance has been. And uh, you know, for me, there's no convincing about COVID. Um, you're talking to someone whose mother died of COVID. It's been a year now, and I also have had an uncle and two cousins that passed away of COVID. So mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, you know whether folks believe it or not, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I tell folks. Uh, my, my responsibility is to follow what the science says and uh, keep the safety of our um, staff, family, and students. Have either of you had COVID? No. 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 Um, I have. <laughs> I lost um, two aunts within two weeks of each other mm -hmm. about th two, three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very serious. Mm -hmm. and it is. We take it very seriously. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I, I say this, Pastor, which, um, you know, we get... Uh, I, for us, I, you know, I don't have the luxury of, you know, anecdotal information. I, I have to be pretty clear on what the actual data says. I mm -hmm. mean, uh, Stacy and team is consistent. We're talking with um, our uh, health committee team, which includes all of the doctors that treat us in the city. Uh, and I, we're monitoring COVID numbers, and mm -hmm. the numbers are pretty clear. If you're not vaccinated, when you look at that ICU, almost 90% plus are yes. in the ICU. Yes. And so, yes. you know, uh, you know. So I said, folks, it, it just doesn't. It's not quantum physics for me. And being clear about putting the protocols in place. Ms. Lyles. Yeah. You are the project manager for external partnerships. Okay. Break that down for me and tell me what that actually <laughs> means. <laughs> um, as Dr. Narcisse will refer to me as community girl. Okay. Um, what we're trying to do is build community support and engagement um, citywide, district-wide, mm -hmm. um, by educating our community members and stakeholders. Um, involving, bringing them to the table. So we've created advisory boards for students, administrators, teachers, uh, faith-based leaders. Um, Dr. Narcisse is even meeting with the Divine Nine, um, the Black Greek, historical Black Greek community because mm -hmm. they have mandated um, education um, agendas and um, community um, efforts. So we're trying to align all of those together. So. All I do all day, which I absolutely love, is um, engage with our stakeholders um, at all levels and try to align what the agendas of these particular agencies, organizations, or groups with what we're doing at Central Office. Okay. Let me volunteer for the faith-based group that Absolutely. you're having because <laughs> I have not been contacted yet. And, Absolutely. And, and one of my concerns has been that I have not been contacted yet. So if I have you right here in front of me, and we have a personal connection right Absolutely. here with the church, so let me volunteer myself uh, for the faith-based group that, that you're forming. I want to be a part of it, and I have some colleagues who want to be a part of Absolutely. it as well. So I look forward to the opportunity of talking with you about that. Likewise. Superintendent, <laughs> let me ask you a couple of questions that have nothing to do with Hurricane Ida and nothing to do with COVID. What is it about what you do that causes such turnover within the educational system? Uh, I've lived here just about all my life, born and raised here. I spent nine years in Egypt, other people call it New Orleans. And uh, then I came back and I've been here for the last 20 some odd years. There seems to be a high turnover rate of superintendents within uh, East Baton Rouge Parish. I can't speak for every other system, but 
it seems to be pronounced here in East Baton Rouge Parish. Now, I know you've only been here for nine months, but help me to understand why there's such a high turnover rate within the East Baton Rouge Parish school system for the superintendent's job. Yeah, so, uh, and, and Pastor, I'll give you a little bit of context about my, this is my 10th city. Okay. And uh, I know Baton Rouge would not appreciate this now, but uh, they will one day, I believe. Uh, I've been a number two, three, and four of a superintendent. <laughs> so, okay. you know, just like, you know, you have your junior pastor, associate pastor, and then you mm-hmm. become a pastor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, the unfortunate thing about of what goes on with turnovers and superintendency, you know, urban cities are plagued around these turnovers because of the weight of the job, the politics, the external pulling that happens, uh, you know, and sometimes the reality is when superintendents are pushing in a direction uh, and having to make very tough decisions and the community or a political entity doesn't agree with it, then they can make the job impossible to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those, I think, are the things that make this job hard. The people say, was the kids learning is hard? No. I think that, you know, the kid, telling, getting kids to learn is, is, is not the hard part. Mm-hmm. The hard part in this job is trying to please many masters. And the good superintendents I've worked for, they have been very clear about what they stand for and their moral compass mm-hmm. in this work. And they've just had to work and engage the community in moving in a particular direction. And so, I mean, when you look at the number of superintendents that have been here or any of the urban districts, they only survive, you know, two and a half years or less. Yes. Right. And uh, and the reality was unfortunate. It impacts communities that look like us. Mm-hmm the most. And uh, there's no way a community can thrive if you don't have consistency. Mm-hmm. Whether you agree or not, mm-hmm. I think that is always where the battle is. And um, and I would just think that, you know, what I probably struggle with um, watching, you know, when I before I even had the opportunity to be in the seat, because I feel blessed to even be in the seat, is um, that I've watched folks try to push in directions that they knew was right, but because people did not agree with them, didn't mm-hmm. like who they were, or whatever other issue was, um, they made the job very tough and taxing, uh, because it is already a challenging job to be in. Um, and I think that that is the unfortunate reality of the superintendency. So, you know, it's just not for the fainted heart. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think you just, you know, you learn and you kind of move it through. I think the thing I think about East Baton Rouge, uh, probably what bothers me the most when I came is I see this as a city that has untapped potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel fortunate because I've been in so many other places, at least in my mind, I've been pretty clear about how a school district utilizes its assets to improve uh, student performance and engage their community. Uh, and some some superintendents engage them and some don't. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, and so I just think that, you know, at least from my lens, I think that that is what's made this job very tough uh, in East Baton Rouge. East Baton Rouge Parish School System, I would imagine, is one of the poorest school systems in the country. Uh, by my research, 84% of our students in East Baton Rouge Parish School System live in poverty. I'm sure that that has an impact on learning, mm-hmm. that has an impact on testing, that has an impact on social engagement. Can you share with us specific things that you are trying to do to address the poverty gap that exists within the school system? Yes. Yeah, so uh, so first, let me just qualify by saying this. Um, poverty, because children are poor, does not mean they cannot succeed. There's been districts across the I nation agree. that have, like, put that myth to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the challenge is you have to be pretty clear about what you're going to invest in and how hard you're going to push around providing strategic support in communities. And also, how do you learn uh, to be equitable, meaning you can provide different sets of resources into different communities? Because poverty in different communities are defined in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so poverty is still poverty. That means you don't have anything. But the resources in order for a community to elevate itself is different depending on which community you're in. Mm-hmm. And so we've been really aggressive about a couple of things. Number one is uh, building social-emotional support in schools. 
uh, uh, building engagement with um, being more robust with families. Uh, we're working on uh, creating a more robust, what we call a parent university where we're engaging with families. Um, also working a lot with our strategic partners around wrap, more wraparound services for kids. What do you mean by wraparound So wraparound services would include things like um, community partners to help us uh, help kids read, for example, okay. or community partners to help feed if they don't have any food, mm -hmm. or community partners to help with counseling. Um, one of the things that we did as different in in this city for the first time is we've broken the city up into five regions, and I can share that with you um, when that looks like. And, and within those five regions, we are pushing to understand the DNA, we call it, within each of those variations or regions to mm -hmm. see what are the gaps that they have, but more importantly, what are the, ma um, we call it asset mapping, mm -hmm. what are the community contexts they have in terms of supports, whether that's through counseling, after-school program partners, uh, to see how we can wrap those partnerships uh, behind schools. What the district did previously it was it would take, uh, it would say, hey, hey, partner, I need you to work with everybody. Mm -hmm. And the reason that strategy is not good is because not every community may need that resource. Mm -hmm. And so we've been trying to make sure we can align resources much more targeted into the area of needs of that particular community. Um, what I'm hopeful that the city begins to feel is that um, that we are so much more connected to the community in everything that we do when we now talk about how kids are performing and learning or uh, providing a wraparound service, not only for children or for families, mm -hmm. that they can feel that they understand how to navigate our school system for a higher rate of success. Ms. Dupre. <laughs> yes, sir. Football starts tonight, right? I think it does, yes, sir. Uh, I, there was a jamboree, but um, kind of had problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're the person who's responsible for uh, student support and things of that sort. Uh, are you all going to be monitoring masking and things of that sort at the games? I watched. I'm a Cowboys fan. We, 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 we came close last night, but but it, it was a good game. Uh, but as they panned the stadium, no one had on a mask, and that for me is problematic. Mm -hmm. LSU is going to play tomorrow evening as we're recording this uh, against McNeese. I guarantee you they won't. I don't care what the newspaper says. There's not going to be any masks, and there's nobody going to be in there that's going to tell them that they have to wear a mask. So my question to you is, as it gets down to the high school level and high school athletics, not just football, but high school athletics uh, as a whole, how do you monitor uh, those situations to make sure that people are complying with what you are asking them to do? What, what, what's the procedure? with regard to that? So that's a difficult question. Yes, ma'am. Um, <laughs> reason being is the governor's proclamation talks about wearing masks inside mm -hmm. the building right. versus outside the building. Right. And we follow for athletics, Louisiana High School Athletic Association guidance, mm -hmm. and they have very specific guidance on athletes. Um, adults and our students, we strongly recommend they wear masks. We try our very best, but in an open setting, sometimes that's a little bit more difficult when mm -hmm. the governor's mandate is for mask inside versus outside. Mm -hmm. But we educate, we encourage, and we hope people look around and do that. For us, we always have a mask on. We model by example. We mm -hmm. ask our coaches to model by example. We ask our teachers to model by example. And we ask our students to model by example. But that's one of those hard ones and um, I wish I had a definitive answer for you. Perhaps Dr. Narcisse can add to that. Mm -hmm. But that's that's where we are because of the governor's order. Superintendent? Yeah, I mean, we encourage we encourage people to wear masks all the time. But, uh, you know, as um, Stacy said concerning the governor mandating internal versus external. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we've told them to just to monitor that going through um, when we have uh, kids go to games. Um, and so it's just been it's just been a very challenging space to be in around. LSU said that they're going to have testing sites around Tiger Stadium, uh, and people have to either present uh, vaccination mm -hmm. uh, proof 
or a negative test before they will be allowed entrance into Tiger Stadium. I'm not asking, well, I have no expectation that you're going to do something to that level, but is there something that you all are planning to do before people come into these uh, stadiums? Because uh, even if they don't wear masks because they're outdoors because of the governor's mandate, you're not going to be six feet apart. And, 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 and you're going to be breathing on each other, and you're going to be talking on top of each other, and you're going to be yelling and screaming at each other. And my, my, my honest fear is that these are super spreader events just waiting to happen. I fear what the numbers are going to look like in about two to three weeks after football has started. And, you know, uh, this is a football-crazed community, uh, uh, and, and, and we love our football. Uh, and, and I'm just very concerned about what the COVID numbers are going to look like at the end of September, the first weeks in October. We had plans here at the church to open up back to uh, worship uh, with people on site in August. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, it, it was against my own personal beliefs, but a lot of my colleagues were opening up and uh, church members were saying, well, if they're opening up, how come you're not? <laughs> opening up. And so I felt a certain degree of pressure to, to, to open. And then the new spike came. And before I'm glad it happened before we opened up so that we didn't have to open up and then shut back down. Uh, but, but right now, we're just in a wait and see mode. I, I've said to my members, don't ask me when we're going to open up because I don't know. We're, we're, we're going to wait and, and watch. I have grave concerns about children in these kinds of environments and and so i'm 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 wondering and and it's a hairy situation i don't know how you can possibly monitor all of that first of all you could you can't keep them all in the same place uh they're, they're going to wander around all over the place and and things like that how have you all planned to deal with this situation as as you go forward well, I mean, from from our standpoint, um, we have been talking to like our coaches, uh, making sure they talk with their athletes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the spaces where we can actually control more mm -hmm. than others is where we put more of our time, and so with our own personnel that way. And the other part has been trying to figure out how to, we can do uh, mitigation strategies on and whether it's crowds and those things, telling principals, make sure you're letting your families know what's going on, trying to, that's been the kind of our approach as of right now. We mm -hmm. have not uh, made a decision on, you know, you have to show your COVID card before mm -hmm. you walk in. Mm -hmm. um, we, we have just have not taken that step. So can I say something? Sure. As a mom of a 14 year old athlete, um, I cannot tell people what to do, but I can tell you that my child has been vaccinated mm -hmm. and I would strongly encourage parents who have children who can be vaccinated at any level to please get vaccinated, especially if they're playing sports and other things where you have that close contact. Now that's from the heart of a mama. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not Dr. Narcisse, but I would greatly encourage them to do so. That, mm -hmm. And we keep sharing that message, but I just wanted to put that out there, that that's, that's what I had in my heart and I would mm -hmm. like to share and hopefully people will hear that message and do the same for their children. Public. Uh corporations, public-private partnerships. Uh, I imagine that they have a lot of uh, influence in how you message things within the school system, uh, providing funding, not necessarily crafting the message, but providing funding so that the message can get out. Are you finding that people are supportive of, of what it is that you all are doing? So, yes, I, I do think that the community is ready to move forward. Um, we are a football-crazed place. Yes, we are. Um, city <laughs> area. And um, football just brings some sort of solitude in the midst of, you know, everything. It unifies us as a city. Mm -hmm. And so I am finding that the community just wants to feel safe. So they're just looking for us to do what we said we were going to do as a district to make them feel safe. Parents do want face-to-face -face learning to happen again. Teachers do want face-to-face -face learning. However, they want to feel safe doing it. So mm -hmm. the work that Stacy and her team is doing is so crucial to the temperature of our community. Um, 
we are currently in our department working on um, promos and advertisements where we're actually going to schools and mm -hmm. having our students, having our teacher moms, having our coaches talk to um, our community about safety measures, the importance of masking up, the importance of getting um, vaccinated, the importance of being screened. Um, so I am finding the temperature of the community wanting to move forward as long as we're able to do our part and keep them feeling safe in that environment. Let me turn the page. Let's talk about charter schools. What's your feeling uh, about charter schools? I believe East Baton Rouge has 27 charters uh, within the school system, operating within the system. I don't yeah, know how many of them are type. under the purview of, of your school system, but I think that there are 27 of them. Do you have an opinion with regard to charter schools? I, I have I, I have no opinion on them. I think that um, charters are no different than magnet schools or any other option that we have. I think they're just another option. Um, what I've learned coming into Baton Rouge, it's um, uh, it's it's a uh, either or, and I just uh, it's a little hard for me sometimes to understand that when it's a school system that has kids who go to charter and kids who don't. Mm -hmm. I think the the challenge, I think, for us is that we see it as this competitive space and really it's just options. Uh, it's just a different option that families have, and I think that that is the reality of it. I think families, just like we have options around our magnet programs, we have options around charter schools, but I think that that's been the context it's been in in our city and uh, you know coming from cities like dc or uh, i worked in boston or mm -hmm. other places where you know charters and traditional schools are working together and doing things there is it just had a it's a it's a different context around that um you know i just feel like you know it's just for me personally what i'm what i'm hopeful we can start looking at more is whether kids are reading or writing or not mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because mm -hmm. when i look at performance i mean i've been in places where you have some charters do good some charters don't do good you have some traditional schools do this some don't do good so i want to see us as a collective where we just have schools doing good in general um, and uh, i don't think there's a one solution strategy to it. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's a, a clear solution on how to get a child to read. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if children are reading a book, if they're able to do better in literacy, if they're able to do mathematics, then, you know, we're all for that. Uh, you know, I've been pushing hard um, in this city around early childhood ed education. Uh, mm -hmm. This is one of the first cities that I've seen where we don't educate our kids from zero to four. Uh, and kids fall behind before they get to pre-K or kindergarten uh, based on parents who have resources or not. And so... So the legislature just responded to that uh, in yeah, this most recent yeah, session. Yeah, they, they passed kindergarten. And right. just to be honest with you, I was a little surprised. I'm like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, most folks were talking about pre-K, mm -hmm. <laughs> so for kindergarten to mm -hmm. now be the law. So, I was, so uh, and I appreciate um, Senator Cleo Fields who was uh, spearheading that. You know, so my my push to when I spoke to him before, I was like, so now that we're gonna have the pre-K, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah, let, yeah. let's speed up like the rest of the world. You yeah. know? So, uh, yeah. but I just think that you know when we talked about you know you asked me before about like what I see Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. Um, doesn't have. I just think it's just a, a lot of untapped potential mm -hmm. uh, that we're not tapping into. Um, I think um, we are a major city in Louisiana. We're the state capital. I know people, when they talk about Louisiana, they really think about New Orleans, but they think about Baton Rouge as well. Mm -hmm. And I think, it, you know, we have a lot of assets and resources that really can take us to a totally different atmosphere in terms of our education in this system. I'm also even trying to push for us to do dual enrollment. Um, where children are able to uh, start high school and college classes as early as high school. I mean, we're the backyard of some of the most major universities in this entire state mm -hmm. and its surrounding areas. And so, mm -hmm. again, I think there's just a lot of potential of things that we should be doing that we haven't been doing. And my goal is to kind of put that in the forefront and get us to start executing in that direction. Is it a myth that uh, charter schools take funding away from traditional schools, or is that a fact? Yeah, I, I, that argument has been going on for a long time. I mm -hmm. mean, the reality is, you know, parents have choices. So the dollars will always follow wherever the children go. 
mm-hmm. right? And so to me, if the child goes to X school, then the, the money goes to X school. If the child goes to this school, then the money goes to that school. I don't know if it's the notion that charter takes money away. I think when I hear that argument, I say, well, you know, we, we put dollars towards every school, right? It's The money should always follow the child, right? And I think parents have the right to choose whatever they want to choose. Um, I think the question for me is, how do we make sure they're choosing quality no matter the school? Mm-hmm. I mean, in East Baton Rouge, we have public school, we have traditional schools, and we have charter schools, but right. all the kids are our kids, and all the money still goes to the kids. And so, you know, whether the money passes through our school system in one way or passes through in another way, we still allocate dollars to children. And so um, I think the notion around, you know, they take money away and all that, I, I think that's the wrong argument to be thinking about from my perspective. I mean, it's not a popular opinion, but... We're going to disagree on that. I, I understand. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I, I, you know in, in, my, in my mind, East Baton Rouge has 41,000 students. Mm -hmm. Some go to magnet, go to charters, they go to variations of schools. The question to me is that we have to be able to fund those schools Mm -hmm. for those families, regardless of wherever they are. And I think it's important that we think about it that way in order for children to be successful. Um, And I think sometimes, unfortunately, we talk more about type than we do about quality. And well, I think that but, that's but, a, but there's a, a rationale problem. behind that. There's a reason uh, behind it, and, and, and that is charter schools have been used uh, in the most recent years as uh, de facto private schools uh, to keep kids out of uh, traditional, public, more diverse school environments. And, and, and I don't think that that is necessarily the way that the system was intended to be set up with public tax dollars. If you want to have a private school, by all means, you have the right to have a private school. But people have a problem, and I'm one of them. I have a problem with you taking public school dollars and devoting them to what are essentially private schools and saying that my child can't go there because he does not meet whatever artificial criteria there is set up for that. My opinion. Uh, certification. Are, 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 are all charter school uh, faculty certified to the same level that traditional school faculty are certified? Well, in order to teach in the state, you have to have, um, inter- to be in public school systems, right. you have to have certification. So right. even if a a, uh, if you're in a charter school, I know for our type ones, you have mm-hmm. to have certification to be in that space. So um, I think where it's different is uh, how the private schools mm-hmm. function, but um, certifications for certification, especially under the public space. Another bone to pick, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you because this has to do with media. Do you think it's fair to say that a seven school district uh, a seven school, a district with seven schools, let me make sure I want to, I want to be clear, is compared with a district that has 83 schools. Everybody says Zachary's school system is just such a wonderful panacea of education. It's seven schools. <laughs> East Baton Rouge Parish has 83 schools. I don't see how you can compare a seven school system with an 83 school system. Am I crazy for thinking <laughs> this way? So, so oh, I was going to say, I, I, you want me to take it? Or you, yeah, let me just okay, add one thing ahead. then I can pass okay. it. This one. So, um, so let me say this. Um, so states, you know, I worked in a lot of states, mm-hmm. right? States have to do their comparisons, right? They try to compare how they compare. I agree with you that this comparison of size, complexity are different, right? So an example I'll give you, when I came here to the district, we were comparing ourselves to some of our suburban parishes. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, that doesn't make sense to me because we are an urban district. We have more in common Mm -hmm. with uh, the Atlanta public school systems (laughs) than we do than, I don't know, Ascension Paris, Zachary, and those things, right? Mm-hmm. 
And that's why I pushed for us with the board to put us in what they call the Council of Great City Schools. So the Council of Great City Schools, where the 70 urban school systems in the nation, which are comparable to size, urban characteristics, all those things connect, right? Ourselves, Philadelphia, because we're also a state capital as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was where you get just as much as of a learning than you do just as much as you're talking to a suburban parish. So do I think it's fair? I don't think it's fair at all. But the but reality when you read is, it but in when you, The Advocate, and when you read what Rolf McAllister writes in Baton Rouge Business Reports, he touts the numbers in Zachary as being this wonderful, excellent, uh, uh, superior school system as compared to the numbers that you get in East Baton Rouge Parish from test scores. And I think that it is blatantly, patently unfair. And I, I guess my question is, what's the pushback to that? Do, how, how do you properly inform the public of what's going on? Because they don't mention the fact that it's only a seven school system or, so or that I, Central is only a five school yeah, so system. I don't, I don't think the amount of schools is where the argument should lie more than to the performance of the child. Right. And so if you compare on children who are reading at grade level and who are not, that's how I think we should be measuring. Right. Regardless of whether you're this parish or that parish. Now, are there elements that impact students to not be at that level? Absolutely. And I think those need to be recognized. And, and size set. might be one of them. Size, but size, size doesn't become an issue if you're ensuring that you have sufficient resources to service that entire population, right? And I think our challenge that we have to solve in larger, um, complex districts is to ensure that there's enough equity and support that's happening across schools and communities, and so kids can be able to learn at an accelerated Well, if the rate. public relations... Uh, uh, apparatus or apparati, you all, the educators, uh, uh, that, that's out there is constantly saying this school system is great and this school system is not, then they are shaping a message that uh, Joe Blow is going to take at face value. Many of us don't read past the headlines. We, we don't actually read the article. We just read what the headline says. And, and so, again, I go back to how are we responding to this? Uh, and, 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 and are we being effective in our response to this? Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, um, you know, the issue that I know that I have our folks focus on is around the quality of education that the children have, that we have in our system. Mm -hmm. And that's improving them around their literacy performance, performing, um, getting them to read, write, and comprehend, all those components. Um, and then also providing and showing parents that here are the things that are happening in our schools. What I can't control, <laughs> right, is whatever headline anybody wants to say about anything. I tell folks if I worried about every single headline, I think it would be a challenge. But what I do know is, you know, there is variations of opinions and perspectives of comparing. And I think comparisons are not always um, apple to apples, right? And I think the, at least what, the, what I hear you saying, and I agree with, is that there's just difference of comparisons. But there are things that are comparable, such as whether a child can read or not. Right. And I think that that I think is where we have should be thinking about our focus. One of the things I am trying to push hard in East Baton Rouge is to get us to start focusing much more on quality around what's going on in our schools and how we engage in our community and less about all the other stuff that I think that um, kind of takes us down from uh, keeping the main focus on the main focus, which is the children in our community. Well, you, you mentioned earlier that you broke the school system down into five districts, I believe. Five regions. What do you see as being the greatest contrasts within these five districts uh, with regard to the needs that the student have and those barriers that might exist to their excelling to the level that you, you're trying to hold them to? Yeah, so one I would say is every community needs something. I think that what I don't agree with all the time is I don't think we... Uh, we use our state report card as a, a particular measurement 
to determine whether all these kids in an entire school are doing great or not. I think that there's it's much more complex than that. I mean, even schools that are, are in our letter grade that has an A, you have kids who are in those schools that have not passed either, mm-hmm. right? And so I think like we have to be much more detailed about looking at every child and looking at their growth over time to see where they started from to where their improvement is. And so I think that we have to kind of shift that focus uh, in, our, in a part of our work. Baton Rouge is a city of uh, paradox uh, with regard to North and South, uh, economically, uh, politically. Is that also true academically? I mean, politics will um, always has some factor, but I don't. When I think about learning for kids, I think it's a matter of resource, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you ask me what's the difference between the five regions. Mm-hmm. They'll differ from things such as um, socioeconomics. They'll differ in things in terms of um, what type of support systems or structures have been placed within those communities over years, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, every city in the United States has a historical paradox to it on how that city was divided, whether it's through race, class, or whatever you, mm-hmm. category you do it. And I think that some of those things have plagued particular communities more over time. I mean. Mm-hmm. You look at any um, uh, African-American community across the country and you watch the divide between race and class and those things. I can show you how highways were built and bridges were put together or railroads, right, to to divide in particular ways. Absolutely. And so when you think about when you talk about Brown versus Board of Ed, the fight was a lot to do around allocation of resources, mm-hmm. right? And I think that the resources uh, is always the key thing on trying to improve the quality of education no matter where you are. And I think that that is the battle that we even have here in in, in East Baton Rouge, or I would probably argue in any of these parishes, mm-hmm. de- depending on whatever their context is. Mm-hmm. But the more resources a child has, the more you can overcome some of the challenges around um, being illiterate or, you know, in those type of things. And I think that's the push that we have to solve in terms of our problems. Let's talk about St. George. And and I've already used up most of my hour, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about St. George for a second. Uh, St. George predates you, predates you by several years. St. George was an effort by a group of people to develop a school system and they found that the most expedient way to do that was to make a city and so they have gone to the elaborate length of developing a city in order to generate another independent school system similar to Zachary and Central and uh, I guess Baker although nobody ever wants to count Baker for whatever reason when your predecessor was sitting in your seat and he was touting a school tax plan for the uh, upgrading of facilities and the building of new schools, I asked him specifically about building in proposed St. George. Would any of the facilities uh, be in proposed St. George? And he looked at me the way you're looking at me right now and said, absolutely not. Well, he's not there anymore, and there is at least one facility that I'm aware of that's going to, if, if they are successful, is going to be in proposed St. George. I know that you're not the politician, you're not on the school board, but surely you have an opinion about building, in a, in, building a school in what will probably in the next five to ten years not belong to East Baton Rouge Parish school system. Do you have an opinion about, uh, about, about that? Does anyone have an opinion about that besides me? <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm not convinced that everyone in St. George does not want to be a part of this parish. Well, I'm not convinced of it either. Yeah, so but what I am convinced is that people want schools in their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And when you look at our demographic patterns and those things, we have our population migrating towards the south, right? And I think that, you know, whether we accept this or not, uh, people want quality schools in their neighborhoods, right? And I'm a big believer in neighborhood schools as well. And I think the, rea- the question that we should be trying to solve 
is how do we provide neighborhood quality schools to families, regardless of where they live, right? You know, for me to sit down and tell you we wouldn't build a school in St. George with me, I would say, well, they pay taxes too, right? They are part of our parish. So why why would I say that, you know... Zachary's a part of our parish, but they don't pay well, into our but, school system. And in fact, they got their schools for free. When they well, pulled out, they got their facilities for free. Yeah. Central got their school facilities for free. I don't want to see the same thing happen with St. George. If you want to leave, I have no problem with you leaving. Pay the price to go. Pay for the facilities. Pay for the legacy costs. By the way, pay for a police force and don't expect the sheriff's office to provide you with policing, which is what Central got away with uh, for, for, for 15, 20 years. Pay the price to go. And don't think that we're going to just give you Woodlawn and Woodlawn Middle and Woodlawn Elementary uh, gratis as you form your new city and your new school system. And, and, and so for me, it's not just a matter of neighborhood schools. It's not just a matter of everybody wanting their child. Of course, everybody wants their child to go to the best school possible. But I don't want to be responsible for paying for a school that will no longer be in my district. Well, they're in our district. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I don't have the same historical context you have, right? But here's what I do know. Right now, we have all those schools in our district. And our job continues to be to raise the quality of education for kids. And if it's a matter of us providing more options and more opportunities for families who choose us for those kids to be there, then we do that. And I think, you know, for me, I try to stay away from this sense of that battle on the St. George separation and more into the let's make sure we're providing families with the opportunities that they need to make sure that when they put their child in East Baton Rouge Parish school system, they're getting the education that they want. And, that, and that's, that's where I stand on that. And so I, I think that, you know, all the other stuff works out itself and it, how it works out. But I, I, for me, I, can't, I cannot afford as a superintendent to get into that battle. The battle that I want to get into is making sure that we, with all the children that we have in East Baton Rouge, whether they're black, white, yellow, green, poor, rich, wherever category they fall in, that they get the best education so we can provide economic viability to our city. Because I can see uh, this parish being very competitive economically with with all its other major cities around it. I mean, we have Exxon here. We have a lot of great companies. We're a city where 80% of the people who are born here stay here, mm -hmm. which means you know your economic workforce, mm -hmm. right? So we have advantages that other cities don't have. I'm coming from Washington, D.C., 35% you may get are from D.C., right? They actually go out into the D.C. and Maryland, um, to Maryland and Virginia side, right? So I just think that there's some areas that we, should be focusing more, much more on to build our city into a different space. And I think that that's when you ask me, what's the difference? I think this is what I call the untapped potential. <clears throat> okay. I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to come and, and share with uh, us today. I want to thank you, uh, Superintendent Narcisse. I want to thank you, Ms. Dupre. I want to thank you, Ms. Lyles, for taking the time and come share with us and uh we hope that if we invite you back you will be uh as open i hope you want to say no nah, we did that <laughs> I, I i i hope that you'll be open <laughs> no we'll, we'll be back pastor as much as you want us back <laughs> thank, thank you. you for viewing thank you for listening we'll be back again next time